Here's what's coming up today on the Prove Me Wrong podcast. In Nebraska, it is illegal for a mother to give her daughter a perm without a state license. But, you guessed it, it is not illegal for a police officer to have sex with someone in custody. Welcome, welcome, welcome once again, everybody, to the Food in the Wrong podcast. It is a random topic podcast where you just don't know what you'll get from week to week. Could be a conspiracy theory, could be a ghost discussion, could be an artist spotlight, or it could just be something I have read or seen online that kind of lights my fuse. It's a box of chocolates, really. You just never know what you're going to get. So once again, I'm Pete Lieb. I'm your host again today. I'm flying solo, but the skies are blue, not a hint of turbulence, and no co-pilot necessary for me today. So I'm looking through the news online, which is something that I like to do to punish myself at least twice a week. And I do a lot of it for review for the show primarily. It's so hard, though, to voluntarily look up the news these days as outside of maybe BBC, the mainstream media bias in the United States is totally out of hand. So you kind of have to go out of the United States to get something that is even close to represents fair and equal. The bias is really at an all-time high. Your thoughts and your point of view are now totally spoon-fed to you based on the voter registration you carry. Every other Republican is a racist or every Democrat is a crazy socialist and there's nothing in between. But we all know that's not true, right? We know that people have a lot of shades, but you just don't get that message anymore in the news media. But I put myself through it anyway, and I try to avoid politics as much as possible because there are enough podcasts already discussing why you are a terrible person because you want um, border security or you are a terrible person because you want clean air. I have nothing fresh to add to any of those topics. But I still take a look online because sometimes I find something really interesting technology-wise or a science article or something in the health field that tickles me and spurs me on to some philosophical rant. Or sometimes I see something that is so patently absurd and unfair that I feel I have to speak out about it. And so this discussion today is about the law and equal treatment under the law and equality of outcome. Because right now, different offenders breaking the same laws, they have different outcomes for no other apparent reason than who they are or who they know or what they do for a living. And while I do understand that the law is not completely black and white and each legal case is different, each set of circumstances are unique and various sides and nuance is in every situation. But when the preponderance of evidence and circumstances line up, regardless of the offender, the punishment should be consistent. And I think that that is why there's a lot of divide in the country amongst the people. They are seeing that two people break the law in roughly the same way. And the outcome of that can be dramatically different. I guess what I'm saying is if a man is found lying on top of a passed out woman in an alley having sex with her, he's a rapist. It's regardless of whether he's a white college student at Stanford with his life ahead of him. He made the decision to assault an unconscious person laying in an alley. There should be an appropriate consequence there. It's that disparity of outcome that has led 
again, to these rifts between groups of people within the country. But it isn't just black and white, black people, white people, as the media would like to spin it a lot of times. But it's between the rich and the poor, the famous and the common, the powerful and the powerless. These are obviously not the only lines that can be drawn, and they're not exclusive. Just like in the previous example, if a man carries out a hate crime hoax on himself, complete with a noose around his neck, bleach on his clothes, assailants in MAGA hats, which ultimately turns out to be a lie, a fabrication set up for some type of publicity stunt and then takes to the talk show circuit to identify himself as a social warrior who was targeted by a group of racists at the behest of a racist president because he just came too hard at the president. It shouldn't matter if you are gay, black, and famous at that point. You should be punished appropriately. And to their credit, the police force in Chicago wanted to do just that. They had actually built a very good case against that particular person and were not allowed to follow it. And so, again, that's where the divide comes from. So my point is, folks, for all of this to work, for society to work, a society of mixed races, genders, creeds, backgrounds, people have to believe that there will be equity in the eyes of the law, that who you are has no impact on the consequences of what you did. And so I am vigilantly scouring the headlines on Google, looking for good content for the Pumiron podcast, and I come across the story of Anna Chambers. And this was in New York City in 2017, I believe September of 2017. Anna Chambers and two male friends, they were sitting in a parked car, and a gray van pulls up next to them. Two plainclothes police officers get out. They search the car. They find a little bit of marijuana in the cup holder, and they decide that they are going to arrest, and they're going to arrest Anna. Anna's friends were not arrested. They were told she was being arrested and that she could be picked up at the New York PD station later that night. They were also told not to follow the van, which is a possible indication that there was something about to happen in the van. Well, what Anna's story is, again, she's an 18-year-old five-foot girl in the back of a police van handcuffed. Her story was that once she got into the van for about an hour, she was repeatedly raped by these two police officers. So she would be in the backseat of the van handcuffed and she would be raped by one. They would stop. They would switch who was driving and who was in the back. And then that person would rape her as well. And it, it continued for about an hour. She was eventually dropped off uh, just a few blocks away from where she was picked up. There was no report made. She was not arrested. She was issued no citation. There was no paperwork filed about the stop. So to Anna's credit, she immediately, basically immediately went online and announced that she had been assaulted by these police officers. And within a few hours after that, her and her mother went to the hospital. Anna told the nurses that she had been assaulted, according to the hospital records themselves. Semen was collected from Anna's rape kit, and it matched the DNA of both of these officers. Seems like a pretty open and shut case, right? Both of them resigned and were originally charged with rape. Again, seems very simple, very open and closed. But what Anna, or probably you, or I, didn't know 
that in reality, New York, along with 35 others, that there is no law specifically stating that it is illegal for police officers to have sex with somebody that's currently in their custody. And I'll say it again, 35 states across the United States, it is not illegal for a police officer, a sheriff, deputy, someone in the law enforcement field to have sex with someone who is in custody currently. And apparently it has happened quite a bit. There have been, I think, something like 158 law enforcement officers charged since 2006, so basically the last 14, 15 years, with sexual assault, sexual battery, some type of sexual conduct. And maybe 30 of them have been acquitted or had those charges dropped based on this consent defense. So the idea here is that if a police officer asserts that the contact was consensual, that there is no sexual assault, there is no legal ramifications. At worst, they are kind of slapped on the wrist, given an official misconduct charge. Maybe, at the very worst, they carry a one-year maximum sentence in jail. That's what these two individuals did. They said that this encounter with Anna Chambers was consensual in the back of this van. And then we kind of got into the he said, she said. But the gist of this, to me, when I'm reading this is, how can this be consensual? How can two individuals who have that much power over somebody who is in handcuffs in the back of a van, how is that encounter consensual? You not only have all of the power, uh, this person is effectively immobilized, and, uh, and you're having sexual contact with them. So again, this incident happened in 2017, and just in March, both of these officers who had faced up to 25 years in prison originally had the rape charges dropped and were reduced to bribery and official misconduct. Neither one of these police officers will face any jail time. Neither one of them has to register as a sexual offender. So they've lost their jobs. They did lose their job. But there is no equity of punishment for the offense that they committed. And again, this is not black and white because one of the officers was white and one of the officers was black. So this is not a black and white issue. This is more a powerful versus powerless issue. Because once again, these guys have guns and they have handcuffs. And how do you consent under those circumstances? And some of these cops actually say that the people in custody somehow seduced the officers. And this has been one of the more common defenses that are used by cops when they're acquitted of, of these charges. They say that they are seduced by the women or that the women initiated sex to avoid getting a ticket, right? Uh, one, one officer in Arizona, I guess, was acquitted of sexual assault, even though he admitted to having oral sex with a handcuffed woman in a police car, claiming that she had somehow seduced him. So I read this article, and as instantly enraged that I personally feel as the father of a teenage daughter, I also feel the incredible need to place a disclaimer on everything that comes after. And my disclaimer is this. My discussion today is not anti-police, despite what it has sounded like so far. It's not anti-rich, it's not anti-white or black, not anti-gay or straight, because in the eyes of the law, these things should not exist. It is, though, very much anti-favoritism, anti-rapist, anti-pedophile, anti-abuse of power. It's like any profession, any profession. There are good, hard-working employees that come in every day with the best of intentions and actions. And then there are the slackers, the shitbirds, the ne'er-do-wells the abusers of the system, and all it takes is a few isolated but highly publicized instances like this one, like Anna Chambers, to erode the public trust. 
then the overwhelming majority of good officers have to pay for all of the bad ones, have to pay for that hit in public perception. I have the utmost respect for individuals who make a sacrifice, a sacrifice of their time, of their family, even their lives in some cases. It is by and large an extremely special individual that chooses to run headlong into a situation that others would run from, right? Would you have run into the World Trade Centers on 9-11? That's hard to say for me. The shooter in Dayton, Ohio, a few weeks back, was active for about 25 seconds. 25 seconds. Because brave police officers ran into a situation that could have gotten them killed and did a job that is largely thankless. I personally joined the Marine Corps after high school during Desert Storm. And while my military career was short and uneventful and largely undistinguished, it did instill in me pride and respect for people who understood that sometimes bad shit goes down and someone has to be the one to run in and settle it. That is an awesome responsibility that the general public has placed on law enforcement, firefighters, the military, and basically all first responders. They deal with people every day who are having the worst day of their lives. Every day is their worst day. And the overwhelming majority of these interactions and these situations are handled with care and appropriate professionalism. It's a really weird relationship between the police force and the public, more so the police force than anybody else in the public. Because generally, in the process of completing our daily activities, The public doesn't want a police presence around always watching, scrutinizing our every move. You know, are we jaywalking? But the second there is an emergency, they want the police to be there to take responsibility and control of the situation. To do the things that the public are afraid to do or are just flat incapable of doing. And then also, on top of this, I understand false claims. So there are unfortunately people out there that will lie for their own eventual benefit, even if that lie negatively impacts another life. There are obviously two sides to this story, the Anna Chambers story, and it eventually comes down to a he said, he said, she said situation. But in this case, by all accounts, there was enough evidence of wrongdoing, more than enough, that this was not a situation like uh, Christine Blase Ford coming forward 30 years after the fact to lay allegations of sexual harassment at the feet of a Supreme Court nominee with not even a hint of that kind of previous activity, with no evidence, no witnesses, no time frame, no location, no proof, and actually just one of many with no evidence at all, each more ridiculous and unbelievable than the last, solely for the purpose of destroying someone's life for an alleged political gain, I'm assuming. Those situations, just like Jesse Smollett, should be prosecuted just as aggressively against the hoaxer as they would have been if it had been true against the perpetrator. Because each of these claims ultimately proven false simply weakens the trust of the public in future situations. No one should have the power to destroy someone else without proof and in cases of blatant fabrication should be punished themselves aggressively. We have a set of moral requirements in place, or at least we should, and most civilized societies do, to informally govern actions where the law hasn't done it formally, with finger quotes. I have my air quotes again. 
it used to be church, uh, used to be the Lord, or whatever term faith means to you in a completely non-denominational way. I'm not trying to promote an ideology of any type here, but society cannot be completely legislated. You cannot make a law for everything. Sometimes common sense has to take over. Sometimes societal mores have to take over. There has to be some higher government of personal actions. And again, that used to be handled through your community, how you was raised, you know, as they say here in the South. But as people become more and more socially isolated through social media and the breakdown of traditional American families, they start to lose the community mores that they had tied their ship to the harbor. And then the actual government may need to step in. So now that I've gone on, my disclaimers are aside. Because I, I hope I've made my point. This is not an I hate the police episode. This is a we are in this together and we need to trust each other episode. There is never a situation where it is appropriate for a person in a position of power, any position of power, to exert that influence over the less powerful individual in a way that would force consent as a means of payment or as a way of escaping punishment. Is this really any different than a college professor having sexual contact with a student for an A or a high school teacher having a quote-unquote air fingers again consensual relationship with an 18-year-old senior? How about Harvey Weinstein having that immense power over young female actresses and the eventual success of their careers? So again, I'm not saying what these officers did in this case was technically illegal if it was consensual, but I'm saying it should be. Based on the article that I read and some independent research, there is currently no law, again, in 35 states that restricts an on-duty police officer from having sex with an individual in custody. 35 states? Really? Now, I know some of you may be thinking, because psychological studies have recently shown that the Prove Me Wrong listening audience has an above-average IQ, is naturally cynical, and has the courage to ask the tough questions. Well, full disclosure, those studies were conducted informally by me, and they have no scientific validity. But uh, I digress. I'm sorry. I went off on a tangent. Some of you right now are rightly thinking, why the hell does there need to be a law on the books restricting this activity? This falls under what you just said, right? The common sense category, right? You just went through another rant discussing that community ties that bind us all together. No need for another law to specifically spell that out. Trust me, I am not for overregulation. I am not for the government telling you when to wake up, when to eat, when to go to bed. I think that there has to be a moment where we as individuals can make our own rules and those rules aren't hurting others. And besides that, rape is illegal in all 50 states, right? So wouldn't that cover this situation? Well, yeah, until it doesn't. So go online and punch up a list of some of the dumbest laws that are still on the books in the United States. It will honestly shock you. It will amaze you that in Alabama, okay, it is illegal for you to go to church wearing a fake mustache that causes laughter. But it is not illegal for a police officer to have sex with someone in custody. In Maine, it is illegal to keep Christmas decorations up after January 14th. They will literally come to your house and confiscate your decorations. But it's not illegal for a police officer to have sex with someone in custody. In Nebraska, 
It is illegal for a mother to give her daughter a perm without a state license. That, again, might fall into the it's immoral for a mother to give her daughter a perm, period. But in reality, in Nebraska, it is illegal for a mother to give her daughter a perm without a state license. But you guessed it, it is not illegal for a police officer to have sex with someone in custody. I'm not going to go through every single one of the 35 states and list some ridiculous law that they have on the books and then compare it to one that they really should have there because we've all seen those silly lists online, right, where it's illegal to have a yak in your bathtub in Oregon because I'd like to think I've already made my point and I can move on to what I think some solutions are. So what do we do? We have a huge chasm right now between public perception and law enforcement, the reality, and the government even more broadly. So what do we do as a society to regain the public trust? Because it is just as hard now for the millions of great people wearing the badge who cannot effectively do their jobs due to the damage caused by the rotten apples in the bunch. It's just as hard for them. Bad publicity has essentially handcuffed the police, rendering them impotent. I saw a video recently where police were called to a disturbance. I don't know necessarily where it was. And they were just mercilessly doused with water, had buckets of water thrown at them, dumped on top of their heads, completely disrespected, and they were forced to simply walk away. I think it was Detroit, actually. There was a lot of lip service from the media, people online, the police commissioner about how disrespectful this was, how if these cops didn't feel like this was out of line, they need to look at a different line of work, whatever. But at the same time, these are the same people forwarding videos of cops getting owned, air quotes, by loudmouths in their cars who think that they know the law and they know their rights, or the creepy dudes who stand outside of police stations and take pictures and videos. They're just looking for a fight, right? They're just looking for a confrontation. They get out there and they stand around looking creepy and take pictures of things. Who wouldn't find that weird? Who wouldn't find that off-putting? Who would not find that a bit alarming? But they're just waiting for the cops to come to them and ask them what they're doing so that they can exercise their God-given American rights of being a punk and talking back. So I know what you all are thinking, right? Okay, loudmouth. I'm the loudmouth now. You have been spouting off now for a while. What are your solutions? And I'm glad you asked, right? Because I have some, or I would not have talked about it. And my first solution is to implement a law nationwide that prevents the type of sexual deviant behavior I have spoken about in this entire episode from happening again. We cannot have cops being caught performing oral sex on handcuffed women in your patrol car then claim they seduced you. This is sleazy at best, and it sets a really bad precedent. Then you have to prosecute any offenders, and you prosecute them aggressively, and you prosecute them publicly. You show people, you show the public, that this behavior is not condoned, and it's not covered up. Because that's also one of the problems, right? Everything gets kind of brushed under the rug, and we don't really know what happened. We can't have that. Law enforcement and really first responders of all types, they have to be the best among us. In reality, as well as perception, they have to be above scrutiny and held to higher standards, the highest standards in our society. We went from kids growing up wanting to be cops to kids growing up running from cops. So to make this happen, you need really 
a cosmic shift in the mindset within our current society. It has to change almost a 180. A society that places more value on actors and athletes than teachers and firefighters and police, that's a society that's broken. A society who puts more weight on the opinion of a millionaire that plays make-believe or a millionaire who actually plays a police officer than a person who teaches our child, our priorities are broken there. So we have to change that. And that only happens when we finally place an appropriate value on the person who teaches the child or saves your life. So the question is, what is your life worth? What would you pay to the person who just legitimately saved your life? Why is the surgeon who tucks your tummy and pulls the skin tight around your face so much more financially important than the person who pulled your unconscious body out of a burning building? Or the person who performs CPR compressions on you for 20 minutes after your heart attack? Or the person who prevented your attacker from killing you? Is your vanity really worth more than your life? That's a philosophical question there, folks. No need for you to answer that one now, unless you want to. The value must be accurately determined, and then ultimately, compensation has to be awarded accordingly. So my second solution is to make these first responder and education jobs so attractive financially that everyone sees them as a primary career goal. Double the median income across the board to start and drive up the demand and the qualification requirements. So the best candidates, they always have options. It's that way in any organization. The best candidates can move. They aren't going to risk their lives when they can be better compensated and safer elsewhere. So you have to make the job so attractive that all the best candidates want in and then only the best can qualify. Hard to get in and easy to drum out for bad behavior. You've got to find a way to improve the perception and thereby change the reality. That is done ultimately through better equality of outcomes improving the transparency of the departmental processes and equal consequences for wrongdoing, as you would see in typical public interactions, and then improving your workforce through expanding your hiring pool by making the jobs more attractive financially. How much better would all of these roles be with the very best people applying? Because it's financially feasible to do so. Again, it's a big shift. It's a big change because we put our value on YouTube stars and not police. We put our value as a society on country music singers and not firemen. We put the value on our entertainment and not those who save our lives. So it, that has to shift first. We have to find a way in our society to value those people first. Then the rest will come. I'm not saying that athletes or actors or musicians aren't great. Of course they are. But $20 million to play make-believe is a little excessive when the average teacher makes, I don't know, 45 grand a year. And they are ultimately responsible for what happens in future generations. Most kids or most adults when they grow up say that the biggest influence on them was a teacher, was a coach who makes 25 grand, 45 grand, whatever. Not an actor. So the people who have the most impact on these children should be compensated that way. What do you think? What are your thoughts on the situation? Do you think it is utterly amazing that 35 states think it's okay 
for the police to have sex with somebody who's in custody as long as they claim it's consensual. Does that law make any sense to you? Also, if you'd like to learn more about Anna Chambers and what's currently going on with her story in New York City, you can look online. You can Google her name. That information will still come up. That case is still ongoing, I believe. And hopefully she's able to finally get some type of appropriate resolution for what she went through. If you have any comments, you can always contact Prove Me Wrong via email. We have ProveMeWrongCast at gmail.com. You can also contact us on Facebook. We have a Facebook page. It's called Prove Me Wrong. We are on Instagram as well. Just look up Prove Me Wrong. And if you were just looking for some of our other content, you can find us on the podcast app, iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, really anywhere that you find podcasts. We'd love to hear from you. If you have some comments about this particular show or any show that we have so far in our library, or you just want to contact us for additional show ideas, please let me know. Drop us a line. I'll tell you, I'll read it. If it's something that's interesting, we'll get it online. Maybe we'll even have you come on the show with us and talk about it. So this episode of Prove Me Wrong Podcast is brought to you by Zendo Zones Citronella Burners from J.T. Eaton. They're shaped like fearless little tiki gods. And let Surf and Stan, Hawaiian Howie, and Luau Lily bring the islands to your backyard with Zendo Zone Citronella Burners. Zendo Zones uses natural 3% citronella candles and incense cones Perfect for patios, decks, backyards, campsites, poolside, and more. Enjoy the outdoors again. So get Zendo Zones. They're available now on Amazon and at Ace Hardware. Collect them all today. Once again, this is Pete Lieb for the Prove Me Wrong podcast. Have a great day. Come back and see us again.